You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. President Trump hints at big trade offer if, if, if Britain breaks free from the EU. The president now meddled in Brexit talks, not to be confused with the tariff talks that the president also finds himself marred in. We hear exclusively from Senator Joni Ernst, a Republican from Iowa. She doesn't like the president's tariff talks and how it's impacting farmers. Plus, Anthony Scaramucci, remember the mooch? The mooch calls in. We talk tariffs with him. He's still got the ear of Wall Street. What does Skybridge Capital think of all of the trade policies impacting the president. Plus, did everybody see Jared Kushner's interview with Axios the other night? Remarkable, remarkable interview with Jonathan Swan. We're going to take it directly to two folks who are inside of the Beltway, entrenched in the swamp. Matt Gorman is vice president at Targeted Victory. He's the former NRCC communications director. And Brett Bruin, president of the Global Situation Room and former White House director of global engagement. In the Obama administration, Matt and Brett are two friends of the program, and they are with me for the hour. Tariff talks. The president, the president has Mexico on his mind even while he is en route, and now he is, of course, in the United Kingdom for his big state visit over there. President Trump talking about what he threatened to do last week, which is add new tariffs to Mexico if they don't, well, deal with him on the issue of immigration. Here's President Trump before he took off for the UK on Sunday. Take a listen. They have to do something about the border. Everyone's coming through Mexico, including drugs, including human trafficking. We're going to stop it, but we're not going to do business, and that's going to be it. It's very simple. Mac Gorman is vice president at Targeted Victory. He's the former NRCC communications director, Brett Bruin, president of the Global Situation Room, and former White House director of global engagement. Brett, I'll start with you. You know foreign policy better than anybody in town. Why is the president threatening tariffs against Mexico while he's overseas in the UK? Well, let me start with some uh, inside information. I was chatting uh, over the last few days with some senior State Department people. Yes. They had no clue. Not a heads up, not a, oh, hey, we're thinking about this. Do you have any thoughts? Would it uh, perhaps jeopardize the 
delicate balance that we've created, not just on trade. Let's bear in mind we have relationships that range from drug control to environmental issues to a whole host of other matters. And the president didn't even bother to consult his own secretary of state, his own ambassador, let alone, you know, a whole host of other agencies that have equities here. I mean, this is uh, Trump diplomacy at its worst. Matt? No, I mean, look, like this is seems to be par for the course with them. And we, we saw this in December when it came to Syria and the troops, right? Didn't give a heads up to Congress. Lindsey Graham and, and others were, were totally kept out of the loop on this. I, I, I keep coming back to this point where it his uh, if he jeopardizes anything about the economy, he's essentially jeopardizing himself on reelection. His his fortunes politically are so much tied to the economy. It is the one ace in his uh, pocket that he has. He cannot jeopardize it. So if these tariffs go up five percent every month and they're hitting twenty five percent in September, that is a huge problem for him. Well, and let's also bear in mind that when we're talking about uh, tariffs, particularly like on the auto sector, these parts go back and forth several times. So it's 5% every time or 10% every time. That's a massive price increase for automakers that are passed on to Americans' consumers. And as the president's heading into re-election, that is not the kind of ticket price uh, or sticker shock that the consumers are going to want to see. And really quick, too, Nancy Pelosi and Democrats in Congress want any excuse any excuse possible to not pass UMCA, uh, and essentially Trump is giving it to them. Well, so but it depends on who you ask them, Matt, because we're going to hear from Senator Joni Ernst coming up. I interviewed her for Bloomberg Television, Senator Joni Ernst, the Republican from Iowa, and she says, look, she doesn't like these tariffs any more than Brett Bruin likes these tariffs. But what she's saying is maybe he's stirring the pot, trying to create a little noise to get this ahead of the finish line. By the way, you've got the Mexican delegation. They just arrived in town today. Take a listen to what President Trump had to say about the arrival of the Mexico delegation to meet and negotiate on trade while he's across the pond. They're sending a big delegation right here to the White House on Wednesday, as I understand it. And we'll see what can be done. But if it's not done, you know what we're going to be doing. And uh, I'm really okay with that. So now you've got them negotiating with this. Brett, you made the, the reference point of State Department officials being out in the dark on this. The New York Times, Maggie Haberman, reporting over the weekend that the president also was at one point suggesting that he would have tariffs against not China, not Mexico, not Japan. I'm, I'm losing count. Not the EU, not Canada, but Australia. Yep. The Aussies. I was at the Aussie embassy last week with the ambassador there. We weren't talking about tariffs, but then the State Department stepped in and said, we don't want tariffs on the Aussies, so he backed off. Well, it's good he listened on, on, on that score. But let me also <laughs> emphasize the art of the deal, the art of the diplomatic deal. Ooh. He had one with Mexico. They made concessions. You then don't go back and slap them on the side of the head with this completely irrelevant issue especially when you're trying to get something through Congress. If you want countries to make concessions, real concessions, not the superficial kind that he's getting from Kim Jong-un, you have got to fulfill on your promises and you've got to not backtrack and enter into some whole other area that is going to complicate matters and going to make it less likely that Iran or China or anyone else wants to make a deal. Well, look, I think you, you make a good point when it comes to diplomatic deals. I think Trump knows one speed when it comes to deals. And I think it's... it's tweet he, is the speed tweet. Or it's even before that this is you know how we did it in, in the business world fine leverage right so now a win for trump is or win for mexico in theory would be not getting these 
tariffs put on, right? And so I think he has one speed. So in, in a Broadway, this tracks very closely with, with his style and his negotiating tactics back in the private sector. And if you're Speaker Pelosi, I mean, I, person, I don't, I'm hard-pressed to find a Republican, a Republican, a Republican who likes these tariffs at all. And in, in fact, many of the farmers, I mean, and we, we always say like, oh, the president's hurting farmers. That's like the mainstream media left-wing narrative. But if you actually talk to farmers, if you look at how commodities or futures are trading, if you, I was in the Bloomberg terminal earlier today, and I was looking at how futures and the corn market were trading. I mean, they're, they're spiking because there's just all of this economic uncertainty. Then you throw in the floods that are happening in like the western portion of Iowa, for example. It's, it's remarkable how they're getting hit on this. There's a lot of economic angst, a lot of economic uncertainty. And where, where my confusion is, to Brett's point, is it, why is he lumping USMCA with the immigration fight? And the president somewhat spoke to this when he was talking about, well, he was like conflating them all. Take a listen. Here he is. The Democrats would wise up and give us the proper laws, the proper immigration laws. We could solve the problem in one day. But... In the meantime, Mexico can do it. So, uh, uh, Matt, I mean, my, my question is, it, it's USMCA, it's the immigration debate, and it's the battle with Democrats. So what is the... What's you, the agenda? You just named three things that rile up his base in advance of 2020, and, and that that proved to be it in 2016, right? Trade, America first, protecting our borders, both economically, but also physically, right, when it comes to immigration. And the third thing is, right, attacking Democrats. So this is much more, I think, in essence, a 2020 calculation for him. He needs to be able to show that he's making progress. But if you're Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Brett Bruin, who knows everyone at the, in the State Department world of current and yesteryear, if you're Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and you're putting together the agenda for Wednesday's meetings, the official meetings, with the Mexican delegation that's coming over here. What do you put on the agenda when there's all of these issues that are conflated? Well, I think the key point uh, that is um, a question for 2020 is what has Trump done on the world stage that he can point to? And it was USMCA. It was, look, I, I brought Canada, I brought Mexico uh, to the table. They made concessions. It's making progress through uh, Capitol Hill. He has nothing else. North Korea is veered off course. Iran, they're already backtracking on some of their hard lines on. China, we'll see what it happens. But there is nothing now in his two and a half years in office that he's going to be able to point to and said, you know, for all of the bravado, for all of my braggadocious style, I don't have very much to show for it. So what does Pompeo do? Sure. I mean, the Mexicans are going to come to town. They, as much as anyone, are going to want to put this genie back in the bottle, and they'll do it quickly. All right, coming up, we're going to hear from the Mooch. You guys remember the Mooch? Oh, yeah. Anthony Scaramucci? <laughs> He's at Skybridge. I mean, he just had that big salt conference. We're going to, we're going to check in with him on uh, what he thinks of tariffs. He doesn't like the tariffs. Not at all. Brett Bruin stays, as does Matt Gorman. You can download the Sound On podcast at Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. 
Beautiful day in the neighborhood, folks. Happy Monday. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. How about these tariffs? The president taking it not just from Democrats on tariffs, but from Republicans. And earlier today, I caught up with Senator Joni Ernst, a Republican from Iowa, and she didn't like the tariffs. I asked what she was hearing from her constituents, particularly farmers, about these tariffs. Here's what she told me. Well, they are not happy about that, of course. They don't appreciate the the tariffs when it comes to Canada and Mexico. They are very good trading partners, and we really need to get the USMCA over the finish line. So what the president is trying to do, of course, wake up Mexico. Let's talk about the humanitarian crisis on the southern border, but let's make that a separate issue. Let's focus on trade. Let's get the trade deal done, and then let's work with our partners in Mexico to alleviate the humanitarian crisis. What can Republicans up on Capitol Hill in the Senate do to pressure the president to back off of these threats of tariffs? Well, I think we need to get the USMCA done. Let's let's get that over the finish line. But then we also need to be speaking up and saying, Mr. President, this is what our constituencies are saying, and they really don't want to see those tariffs. Meanwhile, you had a really big win on E15 in particular that's going to be able to be sold year-round, lifting an Obama-era regulation. Uh, how did this come about? Well, we worked very hard. A number of us Republicans from those ethanol-producing states across the Midwest, we pushed the EPA, we pushed the administration very hard. And, of course, then the president had made that promise to farmers and to ethanol producers that he would support the renewable fuel standard. And this last week, the president lived up to that promise, and we now have E15 year-round. And this is a win for ethanol. There's also the various farmer aid packages that are being distributed to farmers as well. But the bottom line is that if you, what I'm hearing from you is that if you impose these tariffs, however, it could off uh, cut some of these gains that have been made for farmers. Right. The E15 is a huge win for Iowa farmers. It's a huge win for the Midwest, of course, and those that want consumer choice at the pump. But what we don't want to see are additional tariffs that might cut further into that corn market or um, other types of biofuels market. So we need to continue on a path of success, and that's why getting the USMCA done right away is imperative. In terms of the timeline, where do you think the next procedural steps are for USMCA at, or not the 2.0? It absolutely has to go through the House. And Speaker Pelosi has to bring the bill up. It has to move forward through their Ways and Means Committee out onto their floor. They need to vote on it and send it to the Senate. And once we have it in the Senate, we'll pass that. We'll get it onto the president for his signature. That was Senator Joni Ernst, Republican from Iowa, talking about USMCA. Matt Gorman works as vice president at Target Victory and former NRCC communications director. Brett Bruin, president of the Global Situation Room and former White House director of global engagement. Matt, okay, so you just heard from Senator Joni Ernst. She doesn't like these tariffs any more than Democrats like these tariffs. No, certainly not. And especially, <clears throat> excuse me, um, because with some of these tariffs, they're affecting soybeans, right? It's, it's directly in Iowa. But I think, you know, when it comes down to it, she's really urging, uh, as, as you heard there, the USMCA passage. Because as Brett was saying, she wants a win to be able to sell her constituents on. This is a good deal. I think uh, it's, it's a good deal for her in the long run. So I think what she is worried about is that the White House kind of veers off track. And in doing so, gives, like I said before, Speaker Pelosi a reason not to pass this. Brett Bruin of the president of the Global Situation Room. I mean, the farmers are getting pummeled. They're getting pummeled. And let's 
bear in mind that Trump's whole argument, apart from the domestic economic strength, was restoring American, supposed American greatness back to uh, the uh, shiny veneer that was the U.S.'s place in the world. And there is very little that we can point to right now and say, wow, that's an example of countries around the globe respecting us. You look at what's happening today in the U.K., and I know we'll get to that later no, on. Go ahead. But it, it is, I think, a low point from, you know, symbolically, diplomatically, influence-wise. Are you talking about the president calling or not calling Meghan Markle nasty? Well, there's that, but there's also the whole... Did you see this? Did everybody see this, by the way? (laughs) I was confused because, I mean, he calls her nasty. He's talking to a British tabloid. And by the way, I have a family. My mother watches The Crown. She loves The Crown. Great show. She's a huge fan of the Royals. I'm not really... I never really... I'm like, didn't we have the Boston Tea Party over this? But anyway, bottom line is... There's this whole back and forth on the state visit, but then he was with the Queen today. I'm, I'm just like kind of confused by the optics of, of the president in the UK. Well, and I've got a lot of good friends that are at our embassy there, and my, my heart goes out to them because I know what they're coping with. Uh, the British press is just having a field day with Trump. You've got the blimp, uh, blimp flying over London. You've got uh, these images uh, across London that are taking shots at Trump, but they're also taking shots at America. And let's bear in mind that this is our standing. This is our influence in the world. And if you look at recent U.N. votes, if you look at our ability to exert influence over countries in the world, even those traditional allies, it is at an all-time low. Well, I th- look, I, th- I think when it comes down to for 2020, though, I think in part Trump's base really doesn't care about that. And anything was wear it as a badge of honor. I think they, see, they say, though, that, you know, it's time that we start caring about ourselves and, and, and not abroad. And, and I think to your point, Brett, um, I, I just don't see whether it's on the Republican side or the Democratic side this being fought over foreign policy. Even most of the Democrats are talking about in their primary debate so far, it's very much domestically focused. So I think, again, who knows what will come later in the election later on external events you know, aside, I think this is going to be, seems to be uh, an election focused on domestic policy. I, I see the point that they don't care about it, but they do care about the pocketbook issues. And mm. we're starting to see it impact the pocketbook. We're starting to see it impact the Americans' ability on the world stage to get what they want out of other countries. So while the president's over in the UK, he tweets out that, he, that a big deal is possible on trade if they, if they, if they do a, if they get out, if they exit with Brexit, <laughs> if, if they Brexit. Uh, and I'm struck by the parallels of President Trump that he feels with the Brexit movement. I mean, he, he's the guy who says, call me Mr. Brexit. He's also someone, I think, when you look at the Steve Bannon-esque wing of the conservative populist crowd, I mean, he feels a lot of similarities for why he was elected into office and why uh, the the UK people voted for Brexit. I think what's interesting, though, is that the White House had issued a statement just earlier today saying that Trump, quote, supports Brexit being accomplished in a way that maintains global economic stability while securing voters' wishes for UK independence. I mean, that right there, you could replace supports Brexit with supports trade deal. No? The problem with that is the trade negotiations cannot start until the U.K. formally pulls out of the EU. But I'm not even talking about the, 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 any trade deal. I mean, this, is the, this, is the, this illustrates the tension of President Trump's entire economic agenda is securing the market stability while also securing the base of his party. No? 
Yeah, and this sometimes can be at odds, right? At least in the short term. I remember when we had this conversation a couple uh, couple weeks ago when I was on the show about China. You know, in the short term, the markets go haywire, but then they tend to even out. But again, the problem is if that becomes a long-term thing for him, that's a very, very big problem. And it's the uncertainty. We have this prevailing uncertainty. And even when we think we have something like USMCA, which is on a track, Trump goes and knocks the train off the track. Uh, coming up, we're going to hear from Anthony Scaramucci, Skybridge Capital, the Mooch. The Mooch calls in. He's back on Sound On. Panel stays. I'm Kevin Cirilli, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. Anthony Scaramucci, founder of Skybridge Capital, the Mooch. The Mooch is back. He's the former White House Communications Director as well. He's on the phone line. All right. Mr. Mooch, I, I was looking at your Twitter over the weekend, and, and you don't like these tariffs any more than, than Senator Joni Ernst. Why not? Uh, you know, bad for America, uh, bad for business, bad for capital formation, uh, also bad for any supply chain, any business that has a supply chain. And lastly, uh, you, know, you can't go one way with uh, Mexico with the USMCA and then flip it around and use a – economic uh, blunt instrument uh, on the immigration stuff, Kev. So so for me, don't like it at all, and I think the business community doesn't like it. Look at investment, capital investment in the first and second quarter uh, at a standstill now because of, you know, frankly, what the president's doing. You know, it's, it's a negotiating ploy. I get that. I read the order of the deal, uh, but most CEOs have not read that, and they see it as a lack of predictability. And so in some ways, he's hurting the economic miracle that he created. So I don't like it at all. But that this is what I find fascinating, Anthony, is because when Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on Wednesday sits down with the Mexico delegation that's going to be arriving here in Washington, D.C., you just ticked off all of the issues. You've got a Democratic-controlled House of Representatives where the fate of USMCA is uncertain. You've got the issue of immigration, which is why the president is sending is threatening, to point number three, increasing tariffs. How do you even craft an agenda if you're at the State Department for that meeting? Well, I mean, but it's typical Trump. So, you know, I mean, they'll definitely get there. They'll be a little uncomfortable with each other. You know, I'm, I'm sure Prince Harry was uh, biting his lip as he was talking to Jared and Ivanka today. So, I mean, you know, look, of course you're going to have the conversation. But, listen, it's not good for business, you know. And the president's uh, agenda and one of the things that's made him successful and one of the reasons why he's had rising approval ratings is because the economy is so strong. You, you, you do stuff like this, you slow down the economy. And, and by the way, you and I both know, being student of the markets and the long-term economy, uh, psychology is king, Kevin. And so, you know, you kill the psychology, then things start going in the wrong direction. You have a self-fulfilling prophecy. So 
they'll be standing around very uncomfortable with each other. Um, but they'll, you know, the, hopefully the cooler heads and more rational people in the room will prevail. So when you look at not just the USMCA, but then you take a look at these, uh, the, 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 let's, let's forget about USMCA for a second and, and go on to China, uh, because that in and of itself has just become a complete roller coaster ride in terms of what's coming up next and, and where the president is going from a strategic standpoint. Are we at a standstill with China, and, and how do you anticipate there to be a breakthrough with the Chinese? Well, you know, the, one of the pro- problems there is is a cultural problem. So you you had the deal done. You had uh, cabinet officials like Secretary Mnuchin talking about a done deal at the Milken Conference uh, at the end of April, expecting a signing within seven to ten days. But then the president took to Twitter, and uh, culturally, uh, it, it felt like he was pushing back pretty hard on the Chinese in terms of the concessions that they were making in the deal. Uh, it made it impossible for them to sign it. So, so now you've got a situation that are involved both uh, on the Chinese political establishment and the president, and they're ratcheting up the rhetoric. So, uh, again, I think the market is telling you that a deal is there. It may not get done uh, in late June in Tokyo with the G20, but I do think a deal gets done by the end of the summer because – you know, both parties need a deal desperately. The president needs it to set up the narrative for re-election. The Chinese need it because, uh, you know, they, they took a massive hit to their economy last year, uh, and they got to get the economy on better footing. And so, so I'm hoping that the cooler heads will prevail, but it, it, it'll have to be the president in, the, in this case, my opinion, to make the first move after the way he went after them on Twitter. I, I think it's going to be impossible for them culturally uh, to bend here without him making a concession. So let, let, let's see what happens. But both parties need a deal, Kevin. Usually when both parties need a deal, a deal happens. And certainly if you look at the um, market, it's sold off, but it's fairly stable now. The market's anticipating that a deal is basically going to happen before Labor Day. I've been struck by this just in covering this uh, really daily, just how the president's pressure on Fed Chairman Jay Powell has some would argue resulted in the easing of or getting the Fed to, and the central bank to, to kind of move more in the direction of what President Trump would like to see done. As you look at these two vacancies on the Fed board, you know, there's been so many ups and downs, ups and downs with, with who, who the president will appoint on the Fed. Uh, but what do you who, who are you looking for that the president would add to the Fed and, and what type of person would you like to see him add? Well, listen, I mean, the, the traditional thing is to, is to put on uh, academics that have very strong academic resumes in terms of, uh, you know, monetary policy, uh, federal uh, and commercial banking policy. But the president wants to put on some more practical people that, you know, he's of the opinion, and, and Steve Moore certainly is of this opinion, that you've got growth now uh, with less inflation as a result of all of the things that have been done you know, through technology, just-in-time inventory, we could name hundreds of them. So uh, what the president and Steve Moore are saying is that there's a new paradigm, and even though you have these very big numbers of growth, you have scant inflation, 1.6% inflation versus 3.2% GDP growth. Now, listen, they may be right, but Warren Buffett, who's got 76 years of uh, investment experience now, 46 years longer than me, uh, he, he said something I think is, important to listen to is that when people say this time is different in the 76 years that he's been investing, he, he knows that's usually the end of something or there's a, a, a peak of cyclicality somewhere. So 
So I, I, I don't believe the new paradigm. And so what I'm hoping is, is that the president will appoint people uh, more in the mode of a Bernanke, more in the mode of a Janet Yellen that had that academic background. Not that I don't like Steve. He's a great guy, and he's a partner of mine in business. Yeah. But I just think that'll be easier for the president to get those people approved as well through the Congress. Anthony Scaramucci, he is the former White House communications director, founder of Skybridge Capital. Before I let you go, I want to ask you, all this talk of impeachment, I mean, the markets aren't moving on this impeachment chatter. It seems like a political story, one that uh, the folks up on, on the street, they're not really paying attention to. But politically speaking, what do you make of all of the Democrats just continuing down this 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 drumbeat of impeachment talk? It makes money, Kevin. You know they send Who out. Who make money for? Email. Well, what happens is they send out these hate mongering emails. We, we need your money to impeach him. Uh, they've demonized him very effectively. You know, both sides go through that process of demonization. So you know he's sending out emails. They're trying to impeach me. Seventy five dollars. They're sending out emails. We got to impeach this SOB. Send us ten dollars. You know, and so it makes money for these guys. It's a disgusting thing, frankly, because. American people don't want it. It doesn't poll well, uh, but it does poll well in sort of the politics of extremism. And so you've got 25 and counting uh, presidential nominees on the Democratic side, and they're, they're at a race to go off of each other. So that works in that community. And it's just unfortunate because, number one, it's never going to happen. The markets know that. And n- number two, if they actually vote to impeach him in the, uh, in the House uh, – I think Nancy Pelosi is going to be right. He's going to he's going to galvanize his support, and it'll increase the likelihood of his reelection come 2020. All right, Anthony Scaramucci, the founder of Skybridge Capital, a friend of Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. He's the former White House communications director. He's also got Mooch and the Miss, Misses. It's a podcast he has uh, with his wife Deidre Ball, Deidre Scaramucci. Rather, give me a, do me a favor and tell her I said hello, my friend, and thank you, Anthony, it's, for calling it's in. Cheaper than therapy, Kevin. Just remember that. Mooch and the misses, cheaper than therapy. Okay. <laughs> Anthony Scaramucci, the Mooch, everybody, coming up. Panel reacts. Stick around. I'm Kevin Cirilli, download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I want to talk foreign policy now with our all-star panel, Matt Gorman, Vice President at Target of Victory, former NRCC Communications Director, Brett Bruin, President of the Global Situation Room and former White House Director of Global Engagement. Brett, you've also lived in like every country in the world. A few of them. You've uh, you've worked in like Venezuela as well as the Middle East and and working in uh, a host of different administrations on on foreign policy. Did you see President Trump's tweet earlier this afternoon? He says, "quote Russia has informed us that they have removed most of their people from Venezuela." Yeah, and we have clearly uh, got a lot of reason to believe that Vladimir Putin's word we can take it to the bank. 
So um, I know from uh, sources on the ground in Caracas, the Russians are, are not all leaving. And let's bear in mind, they have military assets on the ground. They have intelligence assets on the ground. They have assets that they're uh, using through the Cubans, who are really the, the – and I agree with Marco Rubio on this – they are the real problem in Venezuela. So, yes, some Russians will leave. I guarantee you the other Russians, the intel officers and the Cubans that they're working alongside, they're staying. All right, from Venezuela to the Middle East. Did everybody see Jared Kushner's interview last night with Jonathan Spawn over at Axios? They've got this show on HBO. Uh, and, and, and Spawn pushed him. I texted him. I said, great interview. I mean, he pushed, he pushed Jared Kushner on his Middle East plan. Take a listen to what Jared Kushner had to say about how he's negotiating with the Palestinians. Here it is. With regards to the Palestinian people, uh, I do believe that they want to have a better life. And I do think that uh, they're not going to judge... They don't mind the being cut. Well, they're not going to judge anything based on trusting me or trusting anyone else. They're going to judge it based on uh, the facts and then make a determination. Do they think this will allow them to have a pathway to a better life or not? So, Brett, I mean, I got to be honest. I mean, you look at the debate within the Democratic Party and you've got Congresswoman Ilan Omar, some of these other folks who are just... Uh, I don't know what... They're definitely not in the mainstream on Israel. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that there are a lot of Democrats who would listen to the administration's policies with Israel and say, well, I agree with them more than I agree with Omar. Except that the Trump administration surrendered America's leadership, not only in Israel, but in the Middle East. We may not have necessarily always been the most balanced, but at least we were credible. And that, unfortunately, Kushner... Uh, and company have surrendered by making these unilateral moves, and we didn't get anything in return. We could have gotten significant concessions from the uh, Palestinians on our embassy, on our aid, on the decision not to close their office here, and instead they just took these moves uh, unilaterally. What do you what do you make of that, Matt? No, I, I don't think uh, Brett's wrong in any of those accounts. I mean, look, I think they're coming at this from a essentially a who's that the administration? Like, yeah, the administration. Excuse me, from a political perspective, right? Like they know that that. Uh, Republicans are increasingly getting more, at least in the Jewish community. I was um, at an APAC conference last fall, and they had both my former boss at the time, Steve Stivers, and Grace Ming of New York. And over and over again, people were asking questions, being like, what are you going to do about Ocasio-Cortez? She says she's coming to Congress, you know, and she's very anti-Israel. So much so they had to stop the question and say, you know, we've answered this three or four times now. So Democrats are much more on their heels when it comes to Israel than they were in past years. And so I think this is more of a political play. Well, yeah, but this is also a sugar high because you get the sh- uh, short-term boost, but long-term it costs the United States in uh, the Middle East. Well, I I, you, know, you know what I say? I'm an optimist. I think y- you can never stop fighting for peace, ever, no matter who's in the White House. Switching gears 2020. Did you guys see this? The California yeah. Democratic Convention. I, I, I had to save room for this because it was – I thought it was an interesting move, and I was talking to some Biden world people over the weekend. Former Vice President Joe Biden, he didn't go. He didn't go to California for the Democratic convention, which virtually everyone went. And, I mean, I I don't think it was bad. He was in Ohio at a a Pride event. Remember, former Vice President Biden came out ahead of former President Barack Obama on the issue of marriage equality. And he's getting, you know, well, they're trying. I wouldn't say he's getting hammered on this. But you're, you're hearing Democrats raising questions about his support of that crime bill back in the 90s. And I'm not sure the attacks 
as of now are really resonating. Brad, I see, I see you wanting to chime in here. Go ahead. Because we cannot uh, use a litmus test and, and, and search for the perfect candidate on the perfect progressive positions. We have got to get serious about what it's going to take to beat Donald Trump. I think one, I think one point is really telling what the Democratic base is. If anything, they're criticizing Biden on his tone, right? They're, they're saying he's too conciliatory Republicans. You're praising Mike Pence. You're praising your former Republican colleagues in the Senate. And it very much reminds me of 2016, for the most part. Not in everything, but for the most part, most Republicans agreed on most of the issues in 2016. But where Trump broke through was on tone. He sounded different than every other candidate. I think that's where many of the Democrats are this time around. They believe in Medicare for all, impeachment. But who can really strike that right tone with the base? And that's where the criticism of Biden's coming in. I said this to Gura, David Gura, uh, on MSNBC over the weekend on that, that show up. It's a great show. Uh, I, I said, it's Joe Biden's running as Joe Biden. Elizabeth Warren's running as Elizabeth Warren. They, they don't, they're different, but they're running as Elizabeth Warren. I guess you could say Bernie Sanders is running as Bernie Sanders, though he wasn't really ever really registered technically as a Democrat. All the rest, it's like they're, they're poll tested, and, and they've got to they've gotta be themselves. i got to go. I'm sorry. There's never enough time. Brett Bruin, as well as Matt Gorman, that's it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio.com. Have a great day. Drive safe. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.